0: Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist and coach.
1: And I'm your co-host Leah, an everyday runner interested in women's wellness. And this is Making Her Runner.
0: Here we speak to coaches, athletes and subject matter experts to take a deep dive into the world of running as a female athlete.
1: Through the insights of our guests and the lens of personal experience, we look to help you improve your running and enjoy every step of the way.
0: Wherever the road or trail
2: may take you.
1: This is is how runners are made.
2: How runners are made, baby. Oh, yeah. It built up and became, yeah, an addiction of, I felt like, to be the best in the world, you have to have to be the most committed, the most disciplined. And to me, that was kind of, I put that hand in hand with not doing what I would enjoy doing. Like, if, if I didn't enjoy a hot chocolate, then a hot chocolate must be bad. Going from, like, training your body to run hard and hardly eat then to try and reverse that kind of mentality, I was I was really struggling. And I think it's something that I've always been scared to talk too much about previously, because I never want to give young athletes the idea that it's a good thing. Because I was winning races and I and I was doing well at a certain age, but then I got super injured. So now I feel like it's a positive message because I can clearly say actually a healthy weight
1: You actually do run faster
0: than a lower weight. Nicola. Hello, Leah G.
1: How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Tell me about you.
1: Gosh, I've seen better days. I've run better runs. But here we are doing the things still because that's what we do.
0: Yeah, in hindsight, perhaps this little sickness that you're currently struggling with maybe was one of the reasons behind your, your 10K demise. Tell us a little bit about your 10 k i
1: I'd like to call it a failed attempt, <laughs> but I felt like I learned a lot more in that run than what I would have if I had actually run a PB. So yeah, there's that. I, I've never set out to do something like a PB and failed. I've also never had a bad race. You know, when you're having a bad training run, it's easy to drop back and kind of just take it for that, a bad training run. But when you've put your heart and soul into something and, you know, you've had a social media buildup, you've got a training block behind you and you really want it, it's, it's quite tough to go out and have a bad race. I felt within the first two kilometers that there was just no way that I was going to get on pace um, for what I needed to do to set my PB. But it was quite something to to have to push past that and still run hard when I felt like I couldn't. So that is such a valuable lesson. And I think that having learned that, I'm a better runner for it.
0: For sure. Maybe we can give our listeners a bit of an understanding as to why you feel that, that they just didn't go according to plan. You were feeling a bit heavy, you you were quite late in in your cycle
1: yeah all of the above i i felt really sluggish um i would like to say that my heart kind of knew driving there already I, i really just struggled to get pumped i felt sluggish i felt bloated i could feel that my energy levels were low even though i had had a good night's sleep i felt like i did all the right things I ate well, I hydrated and, you know, I ticked all the boxes and yet lining up, I could feel that this body just wasn't racing ready.
0: And and sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that happens. You know, we mentioned it a lot of the time that a race is just the race. And I think one of the things that we mentioned after the, the, the run where you were feeling very disappointed and obviously upset, uh, was the fact that, like you said, you had a successful training block. The race is just sort of the arcing at the top of the cake. And it's about positively reframing that. You You had a very successful training block, and now it's about building up on top of that. And sometimes races never go according to plan. It's about learning from what happened on the day, figuring out how it could have gone better, and even then – you can't control all the different metrics. I mean, it was also an extremely windy day here in Durban. So I think the stats were stacked up against you on the day. And unfortunately it wasn't to be, but like you said, you learn from it, you feel even more motivated to go back out. And that's what racing is supposed to be there for.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if, if I didn't learn from that experience, I definitely would have learned from this conversation. It came a day too late. Um, we spoke to <laughs> our guest of today, the day after my race, but hearing those sentiments echoed by an absolute professional at the top of her game just made me feel so reinforced to know that, you know, these things happen and on a professional scale, I mean, there's money on the line, there's reputation on the line, here I am, average runner, normal runner and <laughs> it's okay. There will be another race day. But speaking of our guest. Mm.
0: Our guest today is none other than Emma Pallant. Now, Emma Pallant is a professional triathlete, highly, highly decorated triathlete. Uh, she has one Nineteen Iron Man seventy point three and for and for those that don't know the Iron Man, it's it's an extremely tough event. It's it's quite tough as a discipline triathlon. You know, you're working with cycling, you're working with swimming, and you're trying to fit all your running in. She's one. 19 times she's been on the podium 35 times uh she's also been the world duathlon champ three times and she's also been the aquathlon champ of the world so she as i mentioned highly decorated but she first came on 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 our radar funnily enough this year where we were at the total sports two oceans half marathon i was on the sidelines supporting my lovely wife leah
1: hello and
0: uh (laughs) Emma came running through and and she won that day. She won the 21k race and she looked like an absolute epitome of what an athlete should look like. She she
1: was strong, she was in control, she was laser sharp with her focus and I just remember seeing her and going, "Wow, I want to run like her."
0: Yeah, no, she she was seriously impressive and from that day on I've sort of been following her journey and there was even a time during this journey where she was pictured in a triathlon event, running in a trisuit, which wasn't your typical black trisuit. It was a trisuit that was a normal uh it was pink, a light color, li- yeah. Light color. And she was obviously in the middle of her cycles. She was on the first day of her, her period. And, and she bled through. And she bled through. And this caused quite a stir as she then went to post this photo. You'll be able to find that on her Instagram. And- it brought about quite a lot of controversy where people were sort of telling her like, you know, you could have used another photo, you could have cropped that out.
1: It also sparked, you know, the activism that she's, uh, that the activism role that she's currently playing in the female health space where she is, she's encouraging conversation, she's speaking out and her journey to triathlon was quite an interesting one. She had a period where she didn't have her menstrual cycle. She went through a stage where she was struggling with her eating, where she was constantly underfueled, where she was getting injured and she actually turned to triathlon as a form of cross training. So within this conversation, we really get to understand how multifaceted Female training can be, and how you know one thing can lead to another, but it's all kind of related. So, I think that it's such an insightful conversation for any female listener and not just female runners, but any runner who doesn't understand the dangers of underfueling and where that can lead to, and also how we can start to train smarter, which is definitely what's put her on that podium so many times.
0: But before starting the show, we would like to give a special shout out to Run Wild Apparel. They're a local running brand inspired by the trails of KZN. They believe life starts outdoors and their goal is to provide premium quality clothing for South African runners to enjoy life outside with their family and friends. Run Wild Apparel are proud to partner with local manufacturers and test all their products themselves. So for a quick prominent jog or a long day out in the mountains, their clothing will keep you feeling and looking great. To view their winter drop, Visit www.runwildza.co.za or follow their Instagram page, which is at runwild Run Wild, together we go far. As a proudly South African podcast, we love local. If you would like us to give your small business a shout out, feel free to get in touch with us. But now, without any further ado,
1: here's M Palant. Enjoy the show.
3: Hey guys, we've got some thrilling news for you. Get pumped because the Hollywood Bets Durban 10km race is happening on the 3rd of September. Right here in the heart of KZN, it's gonna be epic. So picture yourself running alongside top-notch athletes, aiming for that personal best on a super fast route that's just perfect for crushing your 10km record. That's right, and to make it even better, you'll receive a high-quality t-shirt with your entry a stylish souvenir to remember this fantastic occasion. Seriously, it's going to be a blast. So whip out your calendars and make sure the 3rd of September is locked and loaded for the Hollywood Bets Durban 10km race. Trust me, Nick, you won't be disappointed. Entertainment and fun will be scattered along the route to keep the energy high. And we're going to paint that city purple together with Hollywood Athletics Club. And you've got to be there. Time's ticking, guys. Don't wait around. Head on over to racepass.com right now and secure your spot for this fantastic race. All right, let's make it happen. See you all day. Let's run together.
0: Emma, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, We really appreciate your time and hope that you are well-rested after European champs this last weekend.
2: Yeah, sure. It was definitely um, a lot harder than I expected uh, conditions wise. Um, And yeah, I think I'm getting so used to now doing that flight between South Africa and Europe that it's starting to get easier and I'm sleeping more on the plane. It's, It's much better than going to America.
0: Yeah, for sure. That time traveling is, is a bit of an issue when it comes to being, but at least being pretty central, you often traveling to Europe, you, you're going into uh, the similar time zone, it does help. But you said you struggled in that race. I think I read somewhere humidity was an issue for you, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I really, it's a funny thing, like, um, and, it, and it's nothing new. I've, I've always really struggled um, in the humidity, the heat. Yeah, I can train kind of midday, Thirty degrees in Jo'burg in in summer and it's dry and and I have no problems. But yeah, I've passed out in Durban. I've passed out in Kona. I've passed out in Thailand. Uh, I have a history of yeah, humidity gets me.
0: So humidity gets you, in, in a way that you say you pass out. So that that happens directly after the race.
2: Yeah, thankfully this time it was, normally it's during the run, so thankfully this time um, it was, (laughs) um, yeah, thankfully uh, it was after I'd crossed the finish line um, and I've actually had it, I broke my shoulder in Lanzarote um, when, uh, yeah, I passed out whilst I was on my bike descending, so yeah, there's a lot worse times that it could happen.
1: (laughs) And is that just from pure heat exhaustion or do you know why that happens to you?
2: Yeah, so, um, I had a load of tests and, um, hereditary, I've got a, a low blood volume, um, and a low blood pressure, um, and a really high sweat rate. So uh. if the person, I sweat a lot more in the humidity than in the just dry heat. Um, and then obviously that, that volume that I'm losing, um, I'm not able to get back in quick enough and it's, um, Yeah, just meaning my blood gets a little bit thicker, the pressure drops even lower, and yeah, (laughs) I just pass out.
0: But I mean, you you struggled, yes, but you you still managed to come third, and you you weren't far behind those ladies, Uh, so uh, are you still happy with the way that the event went? Uh, Obviously, I'm sure you were aiming for top spot
2: yeah yeah i think um i was there to defend i won it last year and yeah to do a back-to-back is really hard like especially the level at the moment is is crazy high um and these are girls that that i race quite a bit and um yeah i was getting like normally the runs my strength so coming off the bike kind of in touching distance i was looking forward to having a good run battle and then. Yeah, it's always tough when, yeah, you're reduced to a bit of a walk run. Uh, I was walking through the aid stations a lot, um, but thankfully they had ice, and that really helped. If I put ice down my suit, um, that just really helped kind of cool that, that core temperature. And, and for some reason, I think I then kind of take in more of the fluids, um, absorb a bit more, and yeah, it helps.
0: Brilliant. So for for those listeners of ours that obviously uh, m- most of our listeners are, are runners. Uh would you say that uh sort of the biking and the running is your forte when it comes to triathlon? Or how do you see yourself in trials?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I came from a running background. Um actually only went across the triathlon because I got a, a um injury. Um and it was just meant to be one of those things that kind of kept me going with the cross training and then I was gonna go back to running. So running's definitely kind of my passion and it's, it's always been my favourite one. Biking, I'm getting more used to and, and getting better at that. Um, but yeah, swimming is swimming's a really tough one for me. And,
0: you know, coming again from a running perspective going into triathlon the the training is just so much more intense when it comes to training for three different discipline, disciplines training well for disciplines and also trying to improve your performance over say you're swimming without neglecting your your running or, or your cycling lucky you know you have that natural running ability but obviously that must take quite a quite a big strain on your body and how does how does that all affect the the training load in terms of say on a normal training week? Uh, just to give our listeners an idea, um, what does what does that look like? I know it differs based on on the timing and obviously the races that you're training for. But you know, we're thinking when you're running, you're running four, five. Professionals are running a lot more, but you know, you, you're training a hell of a lot more.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of something that it actually. Shifting from a runner to a track there were so many big changes. Um, yeah, I kind of I fell into that trap to begin with, where um, I was kind of trying to train as a swimmer, as a cyclist, as a runner, um, and then you overtrain, then you can't do it, and you've got to kind of work on your yeah weaknesses, periodized training. Um, but a typical, but yeah, the hours are so much longer still. Um, and then obviously it's that mentality of whoa, I've got to actually eat way more. Which yeah, you're suddenly is it, it was really hard to do. I think so. The first time that I went out on a cycle ride, um, and I joined a group of triathletes, and they all had their back pockets like stuffed full of like sweets and bars and all this sort of thing. And I was used like yeah, but maybe the longest run I would do would be a ninety-minute run. Um, And if I had one gel, then yeah, that was kind of good for me. And i was thinking, why are these guys like, they're more on a picnic than a training ride. Like what are they doing? And then, um, yeah, the first time I bonked and I I bonked hard on the bike. And then I realized, okay, just with the, the hours and not so much just the training itself, but then to recover afterwards, if you're not constantly kind of feeding that metabolism, because I did find my metabolism really went up. Um, then yeah it's just so hard to recover like your DOMs the next day are are so much
1: worse so you made reference in in the research that we were doing about you we kind of stalk before we (laughs) chat to people so you made reference to the fact that there was a period where you did not have your menstrual cycle so I wondered I wondered in that period was it related to eating under fueling and was that the similar time where you started to notice an issue with menstrual cycles and underfueling, did that go hand in hand
2: yeah definitely um i kind of i was one of those kids that when i was little i was doing all sports so running around doing football ball, netball basketball any any team sport i could get into just i didn't want to sit still um and i never even thought about what i was eating and to the point of like my mom, my, my sister and brother would have like a little half a glass of like milk at breakfast. I'd be pouring double cream into a glass and just chugging it just because, I don't know, I just, no one ever told me like, I think because I was constantly moving, no one ever worried about what I was eating. Yeah. Then I started taking on like dropped the other sports because my, my running coach was like, if you, if you want to be really good at this, you have to do one sport and put everything into it. So I was like, okay, cool. And um then I started to so getting to kind of a good level and, and I'd go on a Great Britain like junior camp and I'd be like, Oh, like I'm eating way more like these other girls are watching what they eat and I'm there with like my hot chocolate and my whipped cream on top and <laughs> like maybe actually I need to start, yeah, just cutting back on what I what I ate because I'm I'm competing against these girls and yeah, there was no, it wasn't like a body issue thing. Like I was I was a skinny runner and I just, it was looking at other people and then cutting down a, a little bit and seeing, okay, now I'm running faster. And that became like, then it built up and became, yeah, an addiction of, I felt like to be the best in the world, you have to, have to be the most committed, the most disciplined. And to me, that was kind of, I put that hand in hand with not doing what I would enjoy doing. Like if if I didn't enjoy a hot chocolate, then a hot chocolate must be bad. Like my mentality was be the most disciplined. Um, Whatever I would enjoy, then that was kind of like I had to actually eat what was not the most tasty thing. Um, Then, yeah, I, I lost my period. Um, and I was on UK athletics funding and the doctors were really good. They were straight on top of that and and they were like no this, this isn't acceptable it's, it's not healthy um you're gonna have low bone density you're going to get stress fractures like there's so many problems that, that come with losing your period um, And my mum was a doctor and she was totally she came to all the appointments with me um, and we worked super hard to get it back but I still had this block of going from like training your body to run hard and hardly eat, then to try and reverse that kind of mentality, I was I was really struggling. Um, and Kelly Holmes was mentoring me and she was saying the same thing like, and this was probably four or five years that, that I didn't have my period. Um, mm. And I just didn't want to back off the training. And it got to the point of like silly things like my coach would, Because they wanted me to hit a certain weight. They wanted me to put on at least two kilograms. So they were weighing me before a treadmill run. um, And if I wasn't a certain weight, I wasn't allowed to do the run. So they they were doing all the right things. But for me, like I was then just drinking a lot of water, jumping on and making the weight so that I could do my run and then not eating after. So... Obviously, that's why I was getting injured, had a really serious knee injury. Um, and I think when Kelly Holmes, I think because she was such a role model and I saw her win two Olympic goals, I was like, OK, if she's telling me to, for me to have a career in running that this, this won't last if I keep doing what I'm doing, then it kind of really hit home. And um, the injury also made me back off my training, which, again, I think that helped me put on that kind of bit of weight. And I think it's something that I've always been scared to talk too much about previously because I never want to give young athletes the idea that it's a good thing. Because I was winning races and I and I was doing well at a certain age, but then I got super injured. And obviously now as a true athlete I'm probably three kilograms or so heavier, but I'm actually running the fastest I've ever run, like even as a as a runner. So now I feel like it's a positive message because I can clearly say actually a healthy weight, you actually do run faster than a lower weight.
1: For sure. And I mean, to have the support network that you had available to you at that stage, I guess you must feel so fortunate to have gone through that journey with really good advice, really good practitioners. Because if I look at your age, I mean, you're you're next age, you're born in 1989, you're 33, 34. At that stage, I mean, diet culture was really rife and the period you're describing is also a really influential age where you are. You're looking to your peers, you're looking to others and thank goodness you didn't develop any further, I don't know, I'm hoping, psychological battles through that but I could, I could definitely see how with the wrong advice and with lack of better support, that could have easily turned into a really toxic situation um, system environment uh, environment for sure and I don't think we realize how important those developmental phases are for the longevity of sport as well and I can definitely say that I mean the first time you came onto my radar was two oceans this year the 21 kilometer I ran the same race but much further back in the (laughs) field (laughs) and Nick got a photo or a video rather of you finishing the race and what you've just said here being that three kilograms heavier it makes you a better stronger runner I remember seeing that video of you running and going wow this chick knows what she's doing she looks so strong so powerful so in control what is she doing
2: thanks yeah and and I think like if I could go back and I think if I'd had that conversation with Kelly four or five years earlier because at a time you think oh it's it's a doctor, and it's my mom, and it's the UK Athletics doctor, and it doesn't hit home as hard as someone that is actually winning races at the top of their game. And I kind of thought, okay, well, the UK Athletics is, doctor, it's just his job. Like he has a million athletes. He doesn't mind if I get bigger and I I'm slower. And my mom, she just wants me to be healthy and happy. And I think actually, if that had and, and that's, again, why I want to be so like open and honest talking about it because it doesn't just go from I didn't eat, I was skinny, and then I ate and I was healthy and I was strong. It went through that period of I didn't eat, I slowed my metabolism right down. So when I started eating properly, there was one or two years where it was really hard because your metabolism has to learn to keep up and your body doesn't just suddenly get it like bone density back you still have those injuries you have to work on and you have to like you do that damage and yeah if I could have taken out that four years when I was damaging my body like yeah it's so key that the the kind of good messages get to girls at that age especially when you're growing and your body is it needs those that that good stuff to to make a strong body and and I think those messages are so key like you say you're so influenced at that age you look up to people and and it can really something that they say can really hit home and and that was kind of life-changing for me
0: i think one of those key elements that we need to highlight here and obviously you, you you're talking about it but obviously the under fueling led to it and then that that sort of creates a domino effect which obviously has then led you into having multiple injuries that you were struggling with as an athlete and was that that as, a, as my understanding obviously is one of the reasons why you then ended up moving in towards triathlons is that correct
2: yeah yeah so, so yeah and just because of training
0: so it's also fair to say that you know that is your journey and and that is what happened has led you into being this world-beating triathlon athlete that, I mean, at the end of the day, you made the best of those circumstances. And am I also correct in saying that you are a a qualified physiotherapist?
2: Yes, yeah, I am. I I haven't practiced now since leaving the UK, so I haven't kept up my qualifications. But yeah, yeah, I worked as a physio when I was a runner.
0: So, I mean, also having all those injuries obviously sparked those interests in sports injuries and, and led you into getting those qualifications as well, which, I mean, goes far beyond just practicing. I mean, having that knowledge and background as a coach and athlete definitely puts you ahead of the field when it comes to those things and making the right decisions. Athletes often really struggle with making the right decisions. So um, that, do you find that that has really helped you, So your experiences in the past?
2: Yeah, I think with maturity, that's turned into a good thing. I think to begin with, it was a bit of it worked against me because I was telling like people around, like as a physio, I could have a patient and be like, okay, this is what's wrong. Like I take the cautious approach, whereas with myself, I'd convince myself at a young age, like I was so goal driven that I would convince myself, this is this is nothing. Like it's just it's just a tweak, it's a niggle you can push through. It whereas If it was one of my patients, I'd be like, oh, this could be tendon, this could be meniscus, like we're gonna take this carefully, we're gonna treat it. Um, and I think as I've grown up, like as I've matured now and, and actually feel in a good place, have a good relationship with my body, listen to my body, train a lot smarter. I actually feel like it's it is a good thing because it's also an area that I'm so interested, like even though I'm not practicing as a physio anymore. I'm always reading the latest research and like I actually find just the human body just, yeah, I find it really interests me and and the more we learn, especially like about periods and the female side of things, the the data and all the research studies used to be so male dominant. Um, If you actually looked at the percentage of people, the high performing people they were testing, it was often just guys. And I think they assumed that the same research would be relevant for women. And since testing just females and, and especially around periods and, and your your body cycle, we've, we're starting to learn so much and learning that actually not all that data for males also applies to females. There's a lot of stuff that is similar, but there's also a lot of stuff that's very different and that actually the female research is now kind of starting to catch up and there's a lot more focus being put there. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying kind of reading into all of that
1: it really is so exciting and i'm so glad that you've led the conversation in this direction because it's definitely what the focus of this conversation is about and uh, training and periods it's still something that i'm figuring out and i guess it's something that we'll have to figure out at every every single stage of our life every single month because not one period is the same not one training block is the same but kind of bringing in what you had said earlier about you know as health professionals, physiotherapists, biokineticists, and now the emerging data on what we know about the female cycle, we do kind of tend to take a cautious approach and we tell people to listen to their bodies and be intuitive. But then there's also the performance side and the fact that you're chasing a goal. And I find that line so difficult to tread um, where you know, when I am feeling puffy, when I am feeling heavy, the last thing I want to do is go for a run. And now I'm going, well, you know, people are saying, listen to your body and rest. But then when is rest not the best approach? When should we actually be training? not, Not through the pain or discomfort, but how do you still pursue your goals and listen to your body at the same time? It feels like an impossible thing to do. Are you ready to make a difference through your passion for running? This Women's Month,
0: we're teaming up with a cause that's close to our hearts, the RED Movement.
1: Their mission is to create menstrual equity by providing menstrual cups to girls in need across Africa.
0: Here's the power of running in action. By supporting the RED Movement, we're using our shared passion for running to transform lives and ensure that all girls have equal access to education
1: and the ability to participate in sports.
0: Giving back has never felt so good.
1: Support the Red Movement during Women's Month by pledging a cup for 100 Rand and you'll automatically be entered into a giveaway.
0: Where you stand a chance to win a prize hamper worth 8,000 Rand.
1: Visit my page at Hello G or the red movement on Instagram for more information.
0: Let's run together, change
2: lives
1: and make menstrual equity a reality.
2: Yeah. And I, th- I think you hit it on the head. Like no, even no person is the same. No females the same, but as well, no period is the same. So that makes it even more kind of a, a tricky situation. But what I found, especially coaching females, is that you're it, it's very much listening to the person. First of all, if it's a super painful period, like that isn't normal. Like we've already, like, like safety Sims has, has put out some good stuff of actually don't just accept. It. Like if you had a real bad toothache, like you wouldn't just accept it. Like you go and yeah. research into it, you go to the doctor. You'd, and the same with, I think some of us just think, oh, that time of the month is just going to be, you, you could have a day where you literally can't get off the sofa because you're in agony. Mm. And that's not normal. Then it's going to be a doctor. Um, then with the whole fatigue type of thing, Again, I've started just working with people of, okay, what are your specific symptoms and how can we actually work on those days to do, okay, we'll, we'll do lighter training to begin with, but let's really focus into what is it you're feeling and what can we be proactive about making you feel better. So if you feel really bloated all the time, are you actually reducing the amount of fluids you're taking on because you feel bloated? Okay, so then maybe you're dehydrated and then you're not Losing as much, maybe then you're sitting around a bit more because you feel bloated, so then your circulation isn't going. Um, so it's kind of unpicking all of those things and trying to make your symptoms, first of all, be a bit better. So things like you can feel your body temperature goes up. Okay, when you're exercising or, or doing a session on your period, how can we maybe do that in a cooler environment or use, um, yeah like use more fans or just some way of, of dealing with that symptom. And then I find sometimes because people are working so hard on their symptoms, they actually have quite a good session because they're suddenly like, well, actually I felt a little bit better than I normally would on that day on my period. And then that starts going into a positive cycle of the confidence of, okay, I might not hit the numbers that I want, but I can do that session and we just bring down the intensity. And then that progresses as you get to know your body and the, the good things you can do to help, that progresses month by month to starting to get closer to the goals that you were having on your period day. And that's just the end goal is to empower the, the person to feel like, actually, if that race falls on my period day, I can do all these things that are going to get me to the finish line. And even if I don't hit the exact time that I want, like, I can be even more proud because I've gone past that barrier and it's only going to get better from there. Um, and I think sometimes as well, it's, it's the expectation of maybe you can't perform like a machine on a race day if you've got your period. That's okay. As long as you feel like you can, you can do it, like, half the time, that's the battle. And um, yeah, I think that's important from what I've seen.
1: I definitely um, love that you've, taken it full circle over there and brought in the word confidence, because that's essentially what people are lacking. It's not the knowledge. It's not the know-how. It's not the grit. It's it's purely the confidence. So to know that, okay, I've got through a day like this before by doing X, Y, Z. I think, I mean, it sounds so simple in theory, but yeah, train on your period and you'll get better at training on your period
0: but that I mean that is an interesting approach right it's not it's not your common approach and 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 that's what I want to ask you Emma obviously it's it's worked for you as a a professional athlete you know some races that you set up you just can't do anything I mean world champs is world champs you can't phone the organizers and be like hey it's period period. (laughs) weekend can you do it next week please but you know to an amateur athlete and that's when you say like it, it depends on the individual depends on what the, those symptoms that they're actually struggling with and what their actual training history looks like. But you obviously are a believer that you, you need to try and still maintain your training because you can't, you can't control when race day is. And obviously when it comes to race day, what are the common things that we can, that you can expect uh, if you are going into race day, knowing that, you know, it's, it, it is going to be my period.
2: Yeah. I think, um, again, like, Every female feels differently on their period. But um, for me, um, my heart rate and and my body temperature that probably goes hand in hand are definitely higher. Um, I definitely get a lot more hungry kind of a couple of days before um, and my stomach isn't as good. So I will cut out fiber 24 hours before my race and I will eat lots of good, simple carbs. So your white rice, your white bread, I just find that gives me kind of the energy to actually not hit those kind of fatigue slumps. I feel like my body works a bit harder when, when I'm coming on to my period. So, yeah, eating a bit more, hydrating, because, again, I feel like that that keeps kind of my fluid levels. Um, yeah, just just helps with the bloating a little bit. Um, even things like elevating my legs, making sure I'm not sitting down for long periods of time. Having a massage three days out again just flushes my system. Um nice. but I think just as well, like talk to your coach. I think a lot of a lot of people are kind of still embarrassed to to talk about it or especially because females sometimes you don't want to be the person making excuses. You don't want to be like oh, saying I didn't have a good race because I was on my period or I don't feel good going into the race, like Sometimes it's a bit embarrassing, like you feel like, oh, I'm making excuses. But actually, it's good conversation to have because I feel like the more you talk to other women, because again, there's so many other women that will have run on their period. um, And they might just have one little little trick that they did that actually that's also relevant to one of your symptoms. And, And I find that's been the power of so much knowledge being shared is when you're having the conversation.
0: Yeah, look, I think it's important to, as you say, have that conversation with your coach. I also think it's obviously important for for coaches to be open to that conversation because I mean, sometimes athletes just don't don't know how that's it, that is going to go. Like you say, and and Leah mentioned, it's that confidence they feel a bit embarrassed to bring it up. Like it, it's it's about having that clear concise coaching relationship especially if you're dealing with females right from the start right like that is the expectations that you set out as a coach and you want to have that open door policy Uh, but do you you think that for yourself uh, obviously what you mentioned in terms of like your low blood volume and struggling with heat does that make you more susceptible to struggling when you're on your period on race day
2: yeah I think when I didn't have my period for a long time and then when it came, um, like initially I, I really struggled. Like I, I did, um, yeah, I just felt like like I'd I really get hot. Like, I don't know. I, I Yeah, it, it's something that the more periods I've had, it's actually, it feels like it, it's, um, again, the more I've trained probably on heavy periods and, and I have learned to cope with kind of hard sessions on them. Um, but I think... It's probably def- made me more aware of the hydration aspect. Um, and even I, I read a study what, like three, four months ago about caffeine. So I think it's coming off caffeine um, three or four days before, if you, if you, before you think your period's coming. Again, can then actually, um, it, it helps with some people's heaviness of their period. Um, so I've been experimenting with that and again I feel then I I think it's helped me but again I think maybe it's from a hydration point of view and yeah it's it's I guess just trialing I Mm -hmm. I read lots of nuggets and I've talked to lots of people about it and um, it's just trialing each stuff because something that works for one person might not work for you but one of the things they do might work for you. Um, And definitely, yeah, like you say, fluid levels is is a big one for me.
1: I love that you're encouraging people to have these conversations like we're sitting here having, I feel so honored to be able to speak to you about this. You've really made waves on social media with your stand against censorship. And I I saw that you partook in the um, vaginas uncensored campaign. I thought that was very, very cool. And It's a quote that uh, I'm quoting you over here, but open conversations lead to progression and sharing knowledge empowers. And that's definitely what I feel is happening around us. I feel so honored to be running in a time when we are able to have access to this kind of information and to really tell young girls from a very early age, you know, it's okay to... Eat a little more. It's okay to bleed and not feel ashamed. And I really can't wait to see where these young and upcoming female athletes will take this without the hindrances that we faced. You know, coming, <laughs> coming into our our womanhood. Um, it's really such a e- exciting time to be an athlete. So I guess I just really want to thank you for being so outspoken and flying that flag high for us females. I really do think that the work you're doing is so important. And while I have you uh, you here, I'd also just like to pick your brain a little bit more about performing on race day. I know that we have touched on it slightly, but not only are you feeling these physical symptoms, there's a huge mental and emotional component to it too. I mean, you're feeling a lot more feelings in general. I mean, this is very fresh for me. I had a race yesterday and it was so cuck. Like you've been living in South Africa and training in South Africa enough now to know cuck. It was just a race. How when you showing up to this goal that you've been investing in, you've been training for, and here it is, it's it's the day before your period, you're feeling your worst, you're foggy, you're groggy, you just couldn't be bothered. How do you show up for yourself on a day like that?
2: Yeah, I think um first of all my husband is bless him, he is super good. Uh so he knows before even yeah, when I'm a like a couple of days out, then I'm starting to get aggy and he's like, okay, you're, you're coming up on your period and um, especially if it's around a race, because in general, you're a little bit more like touchy anyway, When especially if it's a big race and it means a lot um, and you just want it to go right. You're a little bit more like highly strung, At a period on top of that, then yeah, it's, I, think, I think he... I, I do lean on him a lot, and um, I would say for yeah, he's just will always say okay, relax and do this, and and just just takes a lot more. Like he's, he's more understanding, and um, I think one of those things of music. I, I I have my favorite playlist, and that kind of just gets me into like a good a good place. And this is like pre pre race. This is like the morning yeah. of um at breathing exercises I find again I just feel like I have to have a big rib cage because it just it just makes me feel like that the more kind of yeah oxygen I've got going in I feel like I go from that oh I'm heavy and I'm lethargic I feel if I actually get some big breaths in there then that always helps um I think as well, I, I do a bit more of a warm up, um, just do more accelerations just before because I don't feel as like, Snappy. I don't know how to explain it, like, yeah, like 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 when that gun goes off, you're going to have mm. the fastest reaction. I feel like I'm a little bit more, um, but I, I think as well that sometimes, again, in running races, I kind of have the habit of going off too fast. So in some kind of those longer races, that's actually in, in the running, that's helped me a bit more because I have had a bit of that steadier start, taking it a little bit while well, longer to, to get my heart rate to peak, and actually I've paced it better. Um, so I think as well, like say, it's, it's that mind thing of trying to switch it into, okay, what are the good things about this? Like like I know there's not a lot, like <laughs> you don't want it to be a race day, but you're like, okay, this is what it is. Let's work with what I've got. Um, and yeah a lot of it is actually bringing that heart rate down knowing that you're going to warm up into it and just making yourself like the mind is such a powerful thing and you can trick your body into feeling like like even my cadence I try and just step it up a little bit every now and then just to like feel a bit more springy.
1: I love that. Those are such practical bits of advice that I feel like I can definitely go and apply. I wish you spoke to me on Tuesday night. Um, (laughs) but I guess the question is how prepared can you be? Are you quite regular? Can you anticipate these things? Can you prep in advance? And what advice would you give to an athlete? I mean, if I was an athlete sitting in front of you saying, Emma, I'm so irregular. I have no idea what's going on. I've been tracking. I've got a solid year of tracking behind me. Some months are better, some months are worse. I really don't know how to anticipate um, and plan my race around my cycle because I'm so irregular that I don't know when it's going to happen.
2: Yeah, so that was definitely me a couple of years ago. Um, I'd say I'm, I'm more regular now, but it will still be four to five weeks. I know a lot of people that can track theirs and be like, yeah, this is the day I'm going to have it. Um, and I think you're, you're, you, that shouldn't stop you from setting goals because I think, again, it comes back to the confidence of, okay, if this happens when, when, I, when I have, if, if it falls on my key race, then it it is a race and there is going to be another race. And if you're not going to be 100%, if your period really affects you, then actually see it as it's something towards a bigger goal, that actually you're going to do this hard race with an even bigger challenge. That's going to make you so much stronger, especially mentally, for when you set that next race and you yeah, I mean the likely chances of the period hitting it again like is small and if it does, again, it's one of those things of just be like, yeah, you're you're coming out to, to challenge me and, and I'm gonna rise to this challenge. And um for example, when if you go if it's something, yeah, you, you can't control when it hits. Again, you can't control the wind in a race, you can't control if it's gonna be severe rain. Just just take it as something that actually Maybe you don't, you can't put the same time goal on it, but it's something that's going to make you even stronger as an athlete. And I, I think just trying to flip that kind of positive thinking into it not being a terrible thing if it does hit then, um, so that if it does hit, you're like, okay, I'm still going to do this race and this is a good thing because it's going to make me stronger.
0: I think uh, an important thing that uh, I did say to Leah after her race uh, this uh, was yesterday it was you know it was still a successful training block and I think that's pretty much what you're alluding to you know you you train you put all your eggs into this one race but at the end of the day the race race is the race you can't do anything about the circumstances the weather how you felt how you slept whether you got sick but you still succeeded in completing you know a three-month training block that is far more important than the race because as you say you can then build up on that and in three months time you'll be even stronger so like you say positive reframing is is key
1: and you're definitely becoming an expert on positive reframing and flipping the narrative on what was previously seen as uh, i guess i I don't even want to say ugly but yeah i up until now Having a period, seeing blood, speaking about blood, it was dirty, it was ugly, it was something to be hidden and I absolutely love that you chose the exact opposite path when your photo was published and you started getting some of those words thrown at you, some of that backlash from the public and you said, no, this this is a beautiful thing and so much respect to you to go out on a day and absolutely crush it and bleed at the same time. (laughs)
2: thanks yeah and and I think that is the again that was kind of my my app. like I, I just thought if if it is that hidden thing that no one is talking about and like you say social media is so influential now imagine yeah if, if we're not talking about it on there and saying all the good stuff and having all the positive things um then maybe it's that one negative thing that that young girl hears and that's her her only takeaway imagine someone said to her yeah it's it's actually healthy that you're not getting your period and it's a sign that you're at the top of your game. If that's all she hears, then that's gonna be her takeaway and, and go down that route. And I think, yeah, social media to spread good stuff is is it has its real positive there.
1: For sure. And I commend you for using it in that way. Just for the listener who is listening to this and hasn't seen the photo yet. The photo that we are referring to is a photo of Emma I now know your surname is Plant and not Balant. I thought you were South African, by the way. Um, so this photo shows Emma racing in her tri-suit, looking absolutely fabulous, might I say. And I at first didn't even notice, I'll admit, I had to read your caption in the comments to understand, oh, okay, there's the hint of blood um, on, her, on her swimming costume that's clearly been washed off uh, you've been in the water and somebody's managed to notice it and here you are saying well we could have easily cropped it out chosen a different photo but I'm going to go ahead with this one so if you haven't seen it please do follow Emma Palant you're you're going to want to see more of her M Palant.
0: M underscore Palant not Palant.
1: I'm trying (laughs) it's my it's my Joburg it's my inner Joburg I'm sure you've been called Palant ever since you landed here.
2: Yeah, I I would take it. I'm still learning South African. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so,
0: um uh, just to to build up on that, obviously now training. I mean, racing on your period, um, you choose to race with tampons. Have you tried anything else? Like men- I know there was mention of menstrual cups and I want to mention this because obviously uh, you may not know, but Leah is kind of at the moment championing for the red movement, which is trying to uh, fight period poverty, yeah, essentially by providing raising. menstrual cups.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we've aligned ourselves with the red movement for August and we are trying to champion for like Nick said, period poverty in um, raising money for menstrual cups. But I'm curious about menstrual cups. I personally haven't used one. Have you? And how do you find a menstrual cup versus a tampon, being a tampon girl all my life? I'm not sure what to expect. I'm kind of afraid.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so um, I tried when it was first kind of, yeah, coming around. I, I tried one. Um, and I just found it so uncomfortable and I literally tried it and was like this isn't for me Um, and that was it didn't didn't go back since talking to people again then didn't have the conversation didn't talk to anyone then since um, yeah the photo has come out I've had so many people reaching out to me recommending different menstrual cups saying tips on how to um, actually put them in and just so much yeah, like good advice. Um, then I started experimenting, and I found one that absolutely does work for me. And yeah, now I can say I'm converted. I am <laughs> no longer um, a tampon girl. And again, just the power of conversation that would never have come about had I had I not kind of put that that photo up. And um, yeah, maybe we should chat after this as well because I've I've had some good talks with people again about how actually. That could be a really good way for, for people that haven't got the money for, yeah, putting menstrual cups into people that, that can't afford um, them, I think is, is actually really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many advantages to menstrual cups. Just the fact that one cup can last a girl up to 10 years is insane, not only for the individual impact, but for the environmental impact as well. It, it's huge but with that comes a, a huge component of education and empowerment as well and the Red movement champions for all of those things so i would love to continue this conversation with you afterwards that is amazing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but yeah the, the menstrual cup is and has been absolutely revolutionary I, I mean does it sound ridiculous to say i'm really excited for my next period so that i can try one <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I think it's the, the same. I was like, oh, man, I've just had a period, like, when all these, like, started getting a hold of all of them, and then I was like, oh, which one am I going to use first? And, yeah, I was actually excited, because for me, it was such a thing of, like, literally, I know on my heaviest day, a tampon, if, if I'm exercising for longer than two hours, like, a tampon, and I've tried all tampons, and I and really, it, it just, it, it doesn't hold. And so, to actually... Yeah, so a new area that that could stop that. Um, It has, it's been really cool.
1: Yeah, and another added benefit that I am yet to experience because I'm still waiting to use my cup, but apparently girls with heavier flows, um, more painful flows and irregular and difficult periods would benefit from using the cup because it also allows you to track blood volume and you can get a better idea of what your period has been like whether or not it's clotty whether or not you're actually bleeding x amount so it it really lends itself to understanding your issues as well if you are a girl who who has some problematic periods perhaps cup education is something that we can really dive a bit deeper into in our next chat (laughs)
2: Yeah, definitely, because yeah, you can literally see what is coming out. And again, like you say, there's actually things, if something isn't right, you can actually spot quite quickly. And like you say, just tracking and getting an idea of what's a normal flow for you, what is like a really heavy, um, and then it, again, like we were saying, the things, the advice that's now coming out about, okay, when should we be drinking caffeine even, and is that going to affect your blood flow? Like, now there's actually a way to measure it. So yeah, it's, it's really great. Oh, well, so exciting
0: yeah thank you guys that's been uh, it's been really informative on my side just to, to sit here and, and listen to this side of the conversation but to just to just move it away from from female health only uh, with some closing remarks uh, just mentioning again our listeners mostly being runners um, you went from from running into triathlon and have a, a direct understanding of how that works um, there, there must be listeners out there wanting to get into triathlon and not knowing or not having a single clue of how to even go about it just starting to do some cross training i guess is the the first step in in the long line but what would be your advice to those guys wanting to to dabble a little bit of triathlon and uh, not wanting to compromise too much on their running
2: yeah, so um, I think first of all, don't believe that uh, cycling is bad for your for your running. Um, it's just a cadence. So as long as your cadence is high enough, then you're still going to be uh, building a good engine without building massive sprinter muscles like that that was that was always a big thing when I'd say to like girls that I run with ah, come do your cross session with me they're like no I don't want big arms and I don't want big legs um but it's just it, it's just about having the right form and technique um and yeah look at someone like Alicia McColgan like her key sessions are running and now the majority of her the rest of her training is is all cross training so you get a massive crossover effect if if you want to race a triathlon um i think best thing to start is is with a sprint race uh, just because it's the shortest one um and you get a nice feel for it um without having to worry as much about the the nutrition side um and i think joining well yeah getting there's lots of clubs lots of coaches just getting the right advice um just because there's a lot of you can go the long way and kind of try and figure it out yourself but there's a lot more to triathlon um, and and kind of having expert advice really takes those shortcuts um just so that then you can focus on the training and and be efficient with it and not overtrain not get injured but again if you're using triathlon and you don't want to race one you just want to use kind of that that swim um, bike training to make you a stronger runner that again you can use just instead of that rest day having an active recovery day by, by going to the pool, um, can really help your, your breathing, your, your lung capacity, um, on the bike, doing spin out rides, again, just helps those legs active recover a, a little bit faster. Um, so I think even just putting it into, like, if, if I trained for when, went just back to, to math and training, then, um, I would definitely still use kind of the, the swim and bike in there to, to supplement it and and make you a stronger kind of athlete for the running
1: and is this where you, the um training philosophy that you hold of of training smarter even if you were just training for a marathon you would still incorporate swim ride does that lend itself to your philosophy that you hold of training smarter and what else would you advise um people who would like to take that advice
2: yeah i think um Again, kind of as a runner, I, I fell a little bit into that trap of more is more. Um, and um, yeah, then you don't obviously, if, to get to really nail the, the super hard workouts, uh, you need to do the easy, easy enough. Um, and a lot of people I found actually, they can't get their heart rate low enough on on a nice, easy, sometimes they, they can't hit zone two um, to begin with running. so. Um, actually, instead of getting them going out for a walk, which um, yeah, obviously, then you're you're still getting your weight bearing effect, but you don't get kind of that middle middle heart rate that you're you want that low heart rate before you before you learn to efficiently run at that low heart rate. Um, cycling can actually be really handy for that, um, and yeah, that's definitely something that I say I've implemented more. Um, in the last three years is actually doing my easier, easier so that my harder, then I can actually hit faster times and do that, that hard, those hard key sessions harder. And that's kind of been the philosophy of that smart training of, yeah, more isn't more and and quality over quantity in some aspects. And then your base work, um, obviously doing that um, really controlled on the heart rate side. That's
1: excellent advice. Obviously, um, we are (laughs) kind of leading to the tail end of the conversation. I would just like to understand if strength training plays a part in your approach at all. Is that something that you prioritize um, or are you all about the endurance?
2: Yeah, so um, the strength training that I do is is just body weight. So I'll do twice a week um, a body weight routine. um, And that's kind of mainly around the core and the glutes um, just getting that posterior chain super kind of efficient and working well. Um, And then the third session I'll do is, is pure mobility. So just making sure all my joints are really um, yeah, moving nicely, especially a lot of hip mobility in there. Um, If anything's kind of slightly out or a little niggle, I'll often find out about it in that session and an area, one of my weaknesses is that, that my hamstrings get super tight. So, again, I'll put a lot of focus kind of on the foam roller into there on that session. Um, and, yeah, just make sure I've, I've got good range there and my, my left and right are, are the same.
0: Brilliant, em. I'm I'm a big believer of hip mobility. I think it's a, it's a key aspect in endurance running, especially when when we perform yeah. such a monotonous movement for such a prolonged period of time. Uh, I'm so glad to hear that that is that forms a key element, and I like the fact that you say it sort of allows you to almost check your body and see where mm-hmm. it's at and where the struggles are, and then you can you can target that head on.
2: Yeah, yeah, massively, and and sometimes it won't be. I'll be getting like a niggle in my hip um and then I'll realize oh actually it's my left shoulder that's a little bit blocked and and yeah something that you wouldn't think until you actually kind of unravel it and um yeah again a good way just to check in with your body and get to know kind of the feeling of of how everything feels when it's pain-free
0: for sure brilliant um if someone is looking to get some more advice from you and some specific coaching from you how can they get a hold of you
2: so yeah Instagram is is the easiest way um but then we also have so Peak Team is is our team um Peak Team coaching is is where the kind of coaching info is um yeah or or write to me on Instagram and and any questions on there and yeah I always get back to people so that's, that's awesome. probably the best place
0: Thank you for that and then also last thing you've got uh, World Trial Champs uh, 70.3 Champs at the end of this month am I correct yeah
2: yeah it's come around fast
0: is that in Finland eh
2: yeah yeah over in Finland
1: and you're obviously looking to add a 36 times podium uh, holder I, I I was like these numbers are ridiculous like you're only like 33 how have you been on the podium 35 times am I reading that right uh, <laughs> yeah I, I do race a lot it's just testament to how well you're able to keep your body conditioned and, and working for you
2: I guess I mean those are big numbers uh, thank you yeah, yeah I I'm, I'm, might have to race a little bit less in the future
0: thank you and we we really appreciate your time tonight uh it's been a fantastic conversation i think we touched on and went in deep with some very specific points uh so we just appreciate you opening up to us chatting to us and uh we wish you all the best for the world champs and we're certainly going to be uh uh, with our eyes glued on the screen supporting you
2: oh thank you so much guys and yeah really nice to meet you thanks a lot thank you so much emma
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies.
3: Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.